0: This is Speaking of Writers on Capital Region Sunday. I'm Steve Richards. Among the extraordinary group of early Americans who became known as the founding fathers, James Monroe may be the least recognized, but with the remarkable range of his service to the nation and his extraordinary skill in shepherding the young nation through one of its most perilous periods, he and his achievements find new resonance and relevance in our own time. Now drawing on newly available primary sources, acclaimed biographer and historian Tim McGrath presents the first biography of the fifth president in more than a decade. The book is James Monroe, A Life. Tim McGrath is a two-time winner of the Commodore John Barry Book Award, as well as the author of the critically acclaimed biography, John Barry, An American Hero in the Age of Sail and Give Me a Fast Ship, the Continental Navy and America's Revolution at Sea. Recipient of the Samuel Elliott Morrison Award for Naval Literature makes his home outside of Philadelphia and joins me now here on Speaking of Writers. Tim, welcome to this program.
1: Thank you, Steve. Thanks very much for having me.
0: Sure. So what inspired you to write this book, this biography on James Monroe?
1: Well, we just finished uh, Give Me a Fast Ship for... uh... For Penguin and uh, my editor, Brent Howard, uh, in discussions, we let's let's think of some, something big. And when the topic of presidents came up, and Monroe's name came up, I kind of chuckled and just said, "Well, when I was seven years old, he was my favorite president." You know I'd been to Valley Forge, and he'd spent the winter there, and and I learned there that he had been seriously wounded in, at the Battle of Trenton as a teenage lieutenant. And uh, they had a kids' book on Monroe, and off we went. And as a history major in college years, decades ago, I, I saw his, you know, his name pop up with different things, obviously, as presidency. But, Steve, when I, I started looking into this and the depth and breadth of things, I realized that I didn't know enough about this guy to hurt me. Um, a 50-year career as a soldier, politician, and diplomat, he held more positions than any president before him or since, and as one of the Virginia experts said, he's sort of like a, a smart forest gump. He's just everywhere and has a role to play in practically every major event in our country's early history from the revolution up to the 1820s. Uh, so learning that and then, uh, learning about his, uh, remarkable wife, uh, who I think is sort of the Jacqueline Kennedy and Asis of the Founding First Ladies. Uh, It That made it easy to, to jump into this.
0: Yes, so many events he, you know, he had his feet in, really. He was the only one of the Founding Fathers to hold such a wide range of roles, Revolutionary War soldier, delegate to the Continental Congress, ambassador to Britain and France, senator, governor, secretary of war and defense, and president, too. So, Tim, why is he the least recognized?
1: I think it's a combination of things, uh, Steve. I think one of them is that he's the tail end of the Virginia dynasty. And, you know, when you look at those names, Washington, Jefferson, Madison, and that they all played uh, their own, obviously, you know, uh, important roles. You know, Washington's the man who basically makes sure that the country is created and stays together. Jefferson has the most charisma and he writes the document that we're still trying to live up to. Uh, Madison, uh, is responsible for, for most of the constitution that so, you know, one guy gives us the country, one guy gives us the, the, the document to aspire to, and the other guy gives us the document to base our laws on. And I think so Monroe, or kind of brings up the rear. Uh, lacking, you know, being a general, lacking being, you know, Jefferson with his charm and, and Madison. It's funny to me that Jefferson and Madison are his two best friends. And, you know, if, if, if that's who you're hanging around with, you're never going to be the brightest guy in the room. Uh, but he does have something that that is uh, Washington's equal and in some respects a lot better than Jefferson and Madison. And that's good judgment. More than one person who knew all three of them would comment about that, you know, Jefferson is brilliant, Madison is is a legal genius, but Monroe's got the best skills of, of judgment and decision-making, and uh, uh, even two members of his cabinet that were as far apart as you could be culturally and geograph- geographically, uh, John Quincy Adams, Secretary of State, John Calhoun as Secretary of War made comments in their diaries about that at times to them it looked like he would take forever to make a decision. But when he did, it was always the right decision. And uh, where that's something that you would think is fundamental in success as a president, it's not something that you just leap to and just say that's why he should be you know up there with the rest of the guys.
0: We're chatting with Tim McGrath here on Speaking of Writers. His new book is James Monroe, A Life. Uh, These new primary sources that you used in your research, Tim, what were they like?
1: Well, the existing resources were terrific enough and ably handled uh, by uh, Dan Preston, who's uh, devoted his life, really, let alone career at Mary Washington University, putting Monroe's papers together. He's the last founding father to have that. If you go into a historical society or a library library, you'll see row upon row of uh Ben Franklin, George Washington, Hamilton, the Adamses, Jefferson, uh of their papers. And with Monroe they're up to volume seven, which is just getting into his presidency, and there'll be at least, you know, three to six volumes just on his presidential papers. Um, but uh they were very helpful. Uh I I kidded myself that I, I I picked a president to write about whose handwriting is even worse than mine. So the original documents are a challenge, but uh, but the experts have been nothing less than helpful with where to go, what to look for, because his papers are spread out all over the country. They go from uh New England into Texas and a couple in California we found. So they're uh uh it was very daunting but extremely uh entertaining. I I just you couldn't believe the Good fortune of, of the, 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 what his story is.
0: Yeah, he definitely lived a dramatic life. Uh, he was challenged to a duel by Alexander Hamilton?
1: Yep. Uh, it all sprung from they were acquaintances and were friendly, but not friends during the Revolution. In fact, Hamilton wrote a letter of recommendation for Monroe when he was looking to join a uh, John Lawrence in setting up a regiment Made up of African American slaves that didn't get anywhere. Uh, but by the time Washington's president, Hamilton's Secretary of Treasury, and Monroe was a congressman, you know, they'd grown very far apart politically. And uh, Monroe was one of three congressmen who visited Hamilton to say, We're investigating you because there's rumors that you're speculating with government money. And that evening, Monroe at his home were at, at Hamilton at his home confides that now what he's doing is being paid, he's paying blackmail because he's having an affair with Maria Reynolds and her husband's uh, scalawag. So Monroe, and they say, this is nobody else's business and let it go. Monroe goes off to be the minister in Paris, while uh, uh, the Secretary of Congress, a fellow named Buckley, who hates Hamilton, gives, his, gives this report to this fellow James Callender, who is the Drudge Report of the 1790s. And uh, when Monroe returns as a disgraced minister, according to the Federalist, Hamilton confronts him in his in-law's home in New York, and they go back and forth about it. Finally, when Hamilton says, you're a scoundrel, Monroe just says, okay, I will meet you anywhere, you know, get your pistols. And for weeks they do the code duello of, you know, where are we going with this? Where are we going to fight? How far apart in paces? And finally, Monroe's second, uh, who knows both men well as another Continental Army officer in today's parlance, goes to him and says, "Look, Jim, if Alex says no harm to no foul, will you drop this?" And Monroe finally goes, "Yeah, okay, that's fine." So Monroe's second is responsible for them not fighting a duel and potentially killing each other. And, of course, in our history, the way it works, Monroe's second is Aaron Burr. So there you have it. Mm.
0: Chatting with Tim McGrath here on Speaking of Writers, uh, his new book is James Monroe, A Life. His best friend was Jefferson. He tried to emulate Washington. He was ambassador to France and Britain, as we mentioned earlier. Tim, what was his goal of expansion?
1: In terms of the country? Yes. Uh he was he he played an important role in it even before uh, his president in uh, 1803 Jefferson sends him a letter uh, that basically says uh, no one else can do this better but he wants him to go to France where the current minister Robert Livingston of New York is having a difficult time uh, trying to purchase New Orleans. In fact, he's writing to Jefferson basically saying, Get me out of here. This is hopeless. So Monroe agrees to go back to France with his wife and family. And uh, uh, he no sooner gets uh, on French land when uh, Napoleon's minister Talleyrand goes to Livingston and says, You know, forget New Orleans. How about buying all of Louisiana? And now Livingston's thrilled beyond measure. And at the same time, he's angry. He wanted help, and now he's getting it, and he doesn't want it. So, you know, Monroe has to walk the fine line between closing the deal and keeping him and Livingston and simpatico about how to do it, which he pulls off. Uh, And then later, as president, he's involved with the transaction, his other real estate transaction, which we call Florida. Uh, So he certainly had a significant role in in adding uh, uh, geographical size to the country. But I think there's other things he did as president that really ring true today. He was the fiercest of partisans. Had he been alive today, he would be on MSNBC or Fox News every afternoon, depending on what the issue was. And, And yet by the time he's in Madison's government as Secretary of State, he's starting to grow behind or beyond his Jefferson Republican agrarian ideals. And the War of 1812 focuses his mind rather wonderfully in that regard. You know, we're losing this war because we don't have a standing army, because we don't have a a national bank to draw from. So he really, you know, takes those steps. Uh, Gary Hart called him America's first national security president, and he is that. He insisted more forts be built. He doesn't want what happened to the country in general in Washington, D.C. in particular, ever to happen again. So he's looking to bolster the Navy and build up uh, fortifications along the coastline, create a standing army, doing all of the sort of things that were an anathema to him as a Jeffersonian just years before.
0: The book is James Monroe, A Life. The author is Tim McGrath. Uh, What is next for you in your writing, Tim?
1: Uh, it looks like we may be working on a book on uh on Gettysburg, not the battle so much. Uh there's been so many by historians far better than me, uh, you know, books and, and, and volumes on that and even some that just deal with the peach orchard or the devil's den, Pickett's Charge. But we're I'm fascinated with the decisions that were made about right before the battle and during it that were made by Lincoln and by Lee, and particularly George Gordon Meade, who Lincoln, as you know, was picked to command the Army of the Potomac for Gettysburg, and he really feels like he's marching off to his own execution. And again, it's the little things and stories that just pique your interest in it. I did not know that General Meade at one point was designing lighthouses up and down the East Coast, some of which are still there or where he or were rebuilt in places that he put them. And... uh so the idea of this lighthouse keeper being involved with saving uh, the Union Army and maybe Washington, D.C., from being overrun again by an enemy force really hit it with me, and that Lincoln was uh, pretty much in, in, in ensconced in the telegraph office at the War Department to find out what's going on. But it's little stories like that. With Monroe, it was stories about his wife and how remarkable she was that you know no one knows about. And uh, and those are the things that make this 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 kind of a career interesting.
0: Tim McGrath, the book, James Monroe, A Life. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Thank you very much, Steve, and I hope that uh, you and your family and your audience stay uh, safe and healthy through this uh, crisis.
0: Thank you. You too. And this... Is speaking of writers, and that is Capital Region Sunday, a production of Townsquare Media Albany for this week. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again next week with another edition. I'm Steve Richards.